Hello Life Changers, thank you so much for joining us. We have got an amazing sermon for you, so why don't you lean in, grab a notebook, grab a pen, and get ready to hear of the more that God has for us. My name is Gabe Phillips, as Scott alluded to, married to his beautiful lady Fiona, and uh, we did have the privilege of going away for a week, uh, so thank you for allowing us that space. It was a, a lot of fun with, with two toddlers, we need a holiday from the holiday. Um, so if anyone wants to give us another break, we'll take it now. <laughs> thank you very much, but it was a whole lot of fun. And it's so good, though, to be home, uh, even though we arrive back to load shedding, although we arrive back to very bitter cold weather here, there's no place like home. It's great to be with the amazing people of Life Changes Century City as well. It's really, really good to see you all today, and we're super excited about what God is doing here in this community. Uh, as I get ready to preach this, this morning, just I want to remind us as a, as a congregation, this is our third week, as Scott alluded to. But what are we going to be doing in, 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 in about August or September? We're going to have a big launch party here. So we're just, we just, we just warming up. We're just warming these seats up and we're getting things ready because we're going to get going. And as summer starts to uh, give, as winter gives way and summer starts to welcome its way in, we're going to have a massive welcome home party. We're going to go big with the advertising. We really want to almost in a sense relaunch this community to our community because we're trusting that God has placed us in Century City, not just to be a church on the block. We're called to be a city on the hill. And God has called us to buy this field and, and lean into what God is doing here, not just so that we have a home. We could have met under a tree. Am I right? As, as, we could meet anywhere. I'm like, that's fine. We do this. We, do, go, go, we want to do things excellently and love people the best way we can and create space so that people would be able to encounter Jesus. People who are far from Him would be able to find a home with us because we know it's never been about a venue. It's always been about the people of God and about the King of Kings. So that's what we're wanting to do. So just... Get ready for that. September is coming. August is coming. We're really excited for what God's going to do there. But I've been thinking a little bit over the last little while and, and reminded of my childhood. I've got these childhood scars that I'm, I'm trying to work out of my system, emotional scars. Um, and, I, and I don't know if you had these sort of moments growing up, but we, I, had these, I had older brothers, but I also had older sadistic friends. And whenever somebody who had an old, a driver's license would come to pick me up, there was this narrative that seemed to always happen to me. I was that, that sucker who would always just, it would just fall for the bait every time. When a car would come and they'd say, ready for the lift, and I'd come and I'd open up the handle and the door was locked and then the car would move a little bit further. And like, oh, come on, guys, don't be silly. They're silly, guys. You feel so silly. And, and, like, and they unlock the door and as you open it, they lock it again and drive forward. They're all laughing inside the car. And you're just like, guys, this is so ridiculous. Am I the only one with that, that pain? And, and, I, and I just, you're feeling so exposed, so vulnerable, and you're just under with, open the door, open the door, and, and you're and locked again. And it's, it's very juvenile, it's very embarrassing, and I would say, if you're still doing that joke, it's so 90s, stop it, people. <laughs> Boring. But it became it, this reality of, like, this, this sense, it felt like, this, I, was, I wanted in on this story, but I feel like I'm just locked out, I feel like it's right there, and it's like, I'm just trying to get in on this, this narrative that's playing here. And as I started thinking about it, I felt that that little, that little image in my head gave a great articulation to what I think a lot of our relationships with God feel like. It feels like we're on the outside looking in, that we, he's, he's tangible, we know Him, we're close to Him, we, we understand the big concept of Him, but it feels like we just are on the outside looking in and we're struggling to get in on it, and it feels like God is playing hard to get. And we're always praying these sort of prayers, God, just would you open the door? And then something would change. Open the door to something magnificent, God. Open the door. I'm trusting for an open door in my finances, an open door for a job, an open door for a relationship. And we're praying these prayers as if God is a, a, a man who's standing at a distance, holding out of a, a sadistically going, ha ha, if they just pray the right prayer, then I'll open the door. 
if they just give a certain amount, if they just do a certain amount, and we try to time, the, if we just get the timing right, the lock is up, and oh, now we're in on God's favor, God's provision, God's blessing. But I really believe that actually there's a shift that needs to come to us. We have to understand the good news of the gospel in a greater way. And today I want to teach you to stop praying, God, open the door, and start to understand that you have the authority to open the door yourself. So I want to teach you how to open the door. You want more favor? You want more intimacy? You want more of his presence in your life? You want more blessing? You want more more righteousness, peace, joy, breakthrough? Then I want you to turn to your neighbor or write it down, whatever you need to do to get into your spirit right now. Tell them the title of my sermon. Say to them, today is a good day to open the door. Come on, tell them that. Tell them it's a good day to open the door. Come on, Arthur. Let's pray together. Father, I thank you for this incredible day, this cold, this uh, day full of load shedding, this day that is uh, uh, in the middle of uh, school holidays, but I thank you, God, that this day is the day that you have made. And I thank you, Father God, we choose today to, to open the door, to open our hearts, we open our lives, we open our strengths, our weaknesses, we open our hopes, our fears, we open the door to you, Jesus. We say, come on in, King of kings. Have your way with us. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. I want to take us on a bit of a narrative journey this morning, if that's right. Uh, we're starting a brand new series next week, but in this moment here, just to, to flick, if you have time to write it down, go read it at home. But the narrative that takes place in 2 Samuel chapter 6. And it's this incredible story about uh, the Ark of the Covenant. And if you are unfamiliar with what that means, the Ark of the Covenant was the representation of God's presence amongst His people. And in a sense, it was God moving in into the neighborhood, God moving into the very midst of His people. But it did feel like a lot of times that the majority of people were on the outside looking in. That this was this this Ark that contained different uh, mementos of their their journey through the wilderness. But this was a place where the presence of God would come, the the goodness of God would come, the mercy of God would come and fall upon this, this Ark, this box. And, uh, and the, but the people, a lot of them, as the ark would go along with them, some people would be able to go in, but most of the people would be able to stand at a distance looking in and saying, I, I would love to, if, if we just time it right, if we just get close enough, then maybe we'll be able to encounter God. But there's this incredible narrative that the Ark of the Covenant was with the people of God, but then for time's sake, I'll give you the brief history. A man named Saul was king, and he, in a sense, despised the presence of God, or he didn't see it as this, the, the centerpiece of who they should be. And what happened in this journey was the Philistines, the great enemy of the people of God in the time, they came and they, they had won this massive battle and they took the Ark of the Covenant, the literal physical Ark, and in a sense with it, took the presence of God out of the people of God and went with them. And this amazing narrative goes on as the people of God are mourning this great loss, but it feels like the Ark of the Covenant is just an addendum to this. This is not the, the, the biggest loss for them under Saul's leadership. The Philistines take it. They, they take the Ark of the Covenant with them. And, uh, but they realize after a while that playing around with the presence of God is not a good job because the Ark of the Covenant, the, the presence of God in, that, in, their, in their environment starts to defeat their gods, their false gods, overnight. Would, uh, the, the prophets of Baal, the, the, all the, all the, 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 the God of Dagon, would just their statue would just fall. And it would smash into pieces as the Ark of the Covenant would come through. Because God doesn't need our help. He doesn't need us to defend Him. He doesn't need the church to stand up and be the right voice and say the right, God will be God. And this is an incredible thing. But, but the reality is 20 years slipped by from the loss of the Ark of the Covenant to when the, the, somebody had the forethought to think about the Ark of the Covenant again. 20 years, the people of God carried on with business as usual. 
but the presence of God had left the building. Because Saul just in a sense thought, ah, it's, you know, it's, it's great, we, we, we understand, we know who God is, but actually it's not essential if it's not the very foundation of who we are. But this narrative goes and we find that actually it lives for 20 years at a man called Abinadab. Abinadab is a great name, it's hard to say three times fast. Abinadab, Abinadab, Abinadab. That was a lot of practice in the bush there. But let me tell you, it stayed, the Ark of the Covenant stayed for 20 years in a man called Abinadab because the Philistines, they gave it up. They, they didn't want the Ark of the Covenant. So they almost like in the sense sent it back and it found its way to a man, Abinadab, who was a Jewish priest. This was a man who was trained in the, the, the custom that this should be the centerpiece of his home. But it seems for 20 years, it just stays in this guy's home. He has three sons, but it doesn't affect their way of life at all. And as I read that, I almost, you know, we almost go, oh, Abinadab, what, we should have made some different changes. But in a sense, I think, what an indictment on a lot of us, that a lot of us have been claiming Christ for years, but it makes no literal difference to our lives. We've, we've, we've said, oh, I'm a, I follow Jesus, but actually nothing really could distinguish the reality. We know about him, but nothing has changed in our lives. 20 years is a long time for just business as usual, in a sense, in that moment. But then a man named David comes to the throne. So he succeeds um, after uh, Saul, and he comes to the throne, and, and he's known as a man after God's own heart. Re reason number one is because the first thing he does is says, where's the Ark of the Covenant? We've got to get the presence back into the midst of the people. So David goes, the first thing he does is he takes 30,000 men to Abinadab's home. Wow, let's hope they had enough coffee that day. But he arrives at the home, and he gets there, and they get the, they get the Ark of the Covenant. And what they do is there's much, much fanfare. They've got the musicians out there saying, we're bringing the presence of God back to the people of God, its rightful place. And they, what they do is they put the Ark on the back of, an, of, of some oxen and a cart. But that is mistake number one, because the Bible has been explicit, saying this is also the, the presence of God is not a commodity just to be moved around. It's something that's God-given to His people that is so precious that you have to follow the ways that He has laid it out. So in the book of Leviticus, we're told explicitly that actually the ark should never be put on oxen or cattle. It should always be on the shoulders of the people. But David comes and he says, no, we're going to do it this way. And, and I start to think about actually so many of us do that. We can go, oh, David, don't you know it? But I look at most churches around the world and a lot of people's reality, they use the presence of God, but they won't do it God's way. Claim God's name, but actually I'll do it my own way. But, they, but, but this is the problem, and the, and the man Uzzah, who's Abinadab's son, he's walking with the presence of God. There's much fanfare, there's a lot of noise, and as they're walking with the presence of God, it says the oxen start to stumble, so Uzzah puts his hand out to steady the ark, and he touches the ark, and the Bible says as he touches the ark, he is struck down dead by God. Wow, this is when the movie just turns dark, all of a sudden, like, what is going on here? And it's, we found out in this moment, it says David is angry and terrified. And I think those are right emotions at that moment. I have no gears. Like, I, I don't know what is going on. And Uzzah in this moment touches the ark, and he drops down dead. And I, I've always read that. I'm thinking, like, whoa, what is going on here? That, that guy was literally just trying to steady the thing. God is like, you know, moving the coffee machine in the morning, and the, and the coffee machine's going over. You steady that coffee machine. That thing's gold. You've got to be careful. But, but actually, what he's saying is actually God was saying, actually, I'm not, I'm not playing around here. I'm not, this thing was supposed to be held on the, 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 the Levite's shoulders and not be moved around like just some furniture. This is the very essence of who I am amongst the people, and there's a way to engage with me. So David is terrified, and just for narrative's sake, he then, he just literally drops and runs. They leave the Ark of the Covenant where it is, and they say, we're going to take it right now. Who's the nearest person? A man named Obed-Edom. And they ring his doorbell. Number 17, Obed-Edom Lane, or I can't remember, whatever it is. And, uh, and they leave the Ark of the Covenant with this guy, Obed-Edom, and they say, 
we're out. This thing is too dangerous. We don't want to play games with this thing. We can't, we can't, it's like, we just, it's like the age of Ultron, the, the gauntlet. You just don't, you know, you don't touch that thing. We're out of here. And they leave it at a man named Obed-Edom's house. Now, this is where I wanted to get us to in this narrative, is the man Obed-Edom is the polar opposite of the man Abinadab. Abinadab was a Jewish priest. The, the ark was there for 20 years, left him unchanged. Obed-Edom was a Gentile from a province called Gath. Now, this is a guy who, in a sense, is just, he's got no pedigree. He's, in a sense, a, a nameless, faceless character who's got no access to the presence of God. He's the man who should have been on the, right on the outskirts looking in. But it's, in a sense, in this moment, as David comes knocking and says, just, can you look after this thing? We're out of here. When everything in Obed-Edom, everyone was probably saying, God, give us an open door to your presence. There was one man who said, cool, I'll open my door to the presence of God. And opened Edom, opened the door of his home and his heart and his family. And the Bible says that for three months, the ark laid there. 20 years in Abinadab's home. 20 years, and it made no change. Three months in a man named Obed-Edom's home, and everything changed about their home. The Bible tells us, explicitly that they were, the family were blessed beyond measure. They were so fruitful in every way that actually word reached David about the incredible blessing that was on Obed-Edom's home. Now, this wasn't just spiritual blessings like, oh, there's more peace there. That's awesome. But if, if word is going to reach the king that this home is blessed, I'm telling you, stuff was happening that was crazy. Incredible breakthrough, incredible favor, incredible goodness of God was resting upon this home because there was a different spirit about Obed-Edom. And I love the reality of this reality that David then hears about this. David the king hears that Obed-Edom, a Gentile from Gath, is being so blessed. He goes, actually, that thing, the presence of God is not just for one person, it's for the nation. So David gets convicted and says, we've got to go get it. But this time we're going to do it differently. We're going to do it God's way. And David now arrives at the home, and he takes the Ark of the Covenant. And what happens then in this moment, this journey from, from Obed-Edom's home to Jerusalem is, is 12 miles. It's, 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 it's this journey that's, that's quite a long way if it's just on foot. And they, they choose not to move it on oxen or on the back of donkeys or on the back of any animal, but actually on the Levite's shoulders. And David arrives. And this is the incredible journey. They say David moves the, the, the ark to, over to the temple. And he says every six steps they stop and they slaughter a bull. Every six steps. That's a long journey for 20 or so Ks. Every six steps. One, two, three, four, five, six. They stop and they slaughter a bull. Now, and bulls were the most expensive of the sacrifices. This is like taking every six steps, taking an S-Clark's Mercedes-Benz and just smashing it. Six steps for 20Ks. This is a very expensive journey. But there was something different because, and this was, this was a messy affair. And the scriptures tell us as David was walking, the king was leading the procession back to the city. And as he was there, the Bible tells us that as this was going, there was great worship music and people were jubilantly declaring that, that the, the presence of God is coming back to the people. And it says that the king was disrobing all the way as he was going down to his linen ephod which is some very fancy underwear, but more than, more than that, it is, it is the priestly garment, what priests would wear. The king is disrobing of his authority and saying, I'm going to operate as a priest. And in this moment, as he's doing that, it's there, the, the, the bulls are being slaughtered and six steps, six steps, six steps, all the way into Jerusalem. We have this incredible encounter where it comes to a conclusion where his wife, Michael, who is um, the, the daughter of Saul, looks out of her window and she says she despises David in her heart because she says, what an embarrassment that the king would be like this. 
a king. The king would arrive in dancing and singing and covered in blood. I can imagine this is a barbaric looking image and he's, he's half naked and he's dancing his way into the, into the city, bringing the presence of God back. And she says, she says, how embarrassing that you have become so undignified before the people. And then David says this incredible line. He says, I will become even more undignified than this. And let me tell you what I surmise in this text before we get to the crux of what I'm saying this morning, is that this whole passage, maybe you're thinking, great, Gabe, this is so bizarre. Why are we sitting here on, on the 26th of June talking about bizarre practices, slaughtering of bulls, six-step uh, procedures, and, and this, what is relevance this has got to do with me? Let me tell you, it's got everything, because this whole passage is actually not about David. It's not even if you've been in church, you would have heard people say, you would have even heard the song in the 90s, and I'll become even more undignified than this, and then we all had to dance. Because <laughs> we have to worship him hard, people. But that's not, David was not giving us an expression of that you need to worship God hard. He was not saying, I will become even more undignified, I'll dance even harder. No, he was telling us, I'm pointing to someone called Jesus. Because let me tell you, this whole story is about Jesus. The whole story, they actually, the reality about Jesus, we see in Zechariah, what David did that day was the total antithesis of what other kings would do. Kings would wait in the, in the city for the slaves to go out and bring the, the, the things back, the spoils of victory back. But this king goes there, and the king operates as a priest, and he says, I'm going to go be on the forefront. And Jesus, we know, he, the king of all kings, disrobed himself, and Zechariah said, see, your king comes to you comes to you, changes the game, not waiting at arm's length saying, open the door. No, he says, no, he says, I'm going to come and open the door for you. And he moves on towards him. And the king, we see this reality as David go the bulls, he becomes more and more bloodied, more and more disrobed. It's a picture of Jesus who would become even more undignified than this. The king of kings would become totally nude, totally uh, exposed, would be bloodied uh, beyond recognition, bringing the presence of God back to the people. Full expression of the people. This is the amazing reality of you and I, what Jesus has done for us. Now, I want to tell us, as I, as I bring us into the, the meat and drink, and maybe you want to take some notes because I really believe this is helpful for us, is I believe that David and Obed-Edom's responses in these moments are indicators of how you and I are supposed to open the door and encounter Jesus in our lives. You, you ready for this? You guys ready? Let me give a few nods. Come on. Number one. I want to tell you, I believe God is wanting to give us, we have to, if we're going to open the door, we have to understand how we open the door to delight. The word is delight. Say the word delight. delight. Let me tell you why this is so huge. It's because Obed-Edom, as I alluded to, was, from a, was a Gentile from a country, a land, an area, a neighborhood, a, a, a postal code called Gath. Now let me tell you who the most famous person from Gath was. Goliath. This is the neighborhood that Obed-Edom comes from. Obed-Edom was not a man who was the number one candidate for the presence of God to be in his life, let alone housing it in his home for three months. He was actually an enemy of God. And yet in this moment, Obed-Edom, in everything, he realizes that God has come to his house. It should blow our minds. And I think too much of the church like, yeah, God is good. God is, yeah, amen. He Christ in me, the hope of glory. But actually, we're not understanding that there should be delight in our hearts. Delight in our hearts about what God has done for us. Let me tell you, in Psalm 37, verse 4, it says the scripture. It says, delight yourself in the Lord, and he will give you the desires of your heart. I think that that's that scripture alone, we should think and pray and meditate about that scripture and understand that there's some deep mystery in that. Delight yourself in the Lord, and he'll give you the desires of your heart. Let me tell you, the world knows the first part of that. 
They know how to delight themselves. The world know how to do that. Let's be honest. We know how to do that. We're pretty good at delighting ourselves. We know how to delight ourselves in the area of our sexuality. We know how to delight ourselves in the area of our relationships. Delight ourselves in our hobbies, our habits. Delighting ourselves by clicking that link, by winning that argument, by replying to a text, by holding that offense. We know how to delight ourselves, but we don't know the reality. God says, actually, if you're wanting the doors to open, if you're wanting to walk into his favor, into intimacy, into the presence of God, righteousness, peace, and joy, no matter the storm that's going around you, you need to learn to open the door of delighting in the Lord. Delight in the Lord. And the Bible, the second half of that verse says, and he will give you the desires of your heart. That's not me saying that. That's not some preacher. That's the Bible that's saying, will you lean into this area of delighting in the Lord? And if you want to know how do you delight in the Lord, I want to encourage you, would you open the door to looking expectantly to God? Looking expectantly to God. I think a lot of us, we've had that uh, cynicism in our hearts of, you know, um, the, the great author once wrote, it was the best of times, it was the worst of times. And I think a lot of us just say, it's the worst of times, it's the worst of times. Just hard, you know. Okay, oh, sirrah, sirrah, another, I, oh, I knew that would happen. And we've allowed the cynicism to grab hold of our hearts that we stopped looking expectantly to the God of the breakthrough. We've become so resigned to our situation, so resigned to the, the addiction, so resigned to that, that limp, to that, 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 that pain in the heart, that offense that's deep-rooted, and we've covered it over, we've called it something else, but actually God said, no, would you look to me expectantly again? Would you open the door past that pain, and would you see me, the king who's coming towards you? This is the reality that, that years ago, uh, uh, when we first uh, started to drop off our little kids at, at preschool, they, they were... They were so excited for us to come fetch them. Who would ever imagine that after school, after a long day at school? But I, 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 it just filled my heart with incredible joy, arriving at that school, arriving at those gates. And they knew, our kids knew that after bread and tea, mom and dad are coming. That was the, that was the, the, the linear. They, they said, forget the 24-hour clock. We just know bread and tea means home time. So once bread and tea were done, the, 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 the two kids would be leaning on the gate looking for the arrival of our white car. The white Tiguan, is it coming? Is it coming? And as soon as they saw it, it literally was like shots out of a cannon. The gate was open. They would be sprinting for their bag, sprinting to the, and Benji just leaves the bag, leaves everything, he just runs straight towards us. But it just was like, it was like a rocket out of a ship, a rocket out of a cannon. In the, in the incredible moments, in this reality of they knew that dad has come, let's go. And this, this expectation of this, they knew that dad was coming. They knew that dad was coming. They knew he was coming. Their eyes were fixed on that gate. Will he arrive? And I, I want to encourage our posture. If you want to know how, what, to, what it means to delight yourself in the Lord, is how do I fix my expectation on my father's here? My father's coming. With joy in our hearts. And as I was sharing this with my wife, she said to me, yeah, but what if you've, people have had bad experience with their fathers? And they, they know that their father's coming didn't mean good things. Well, I mean, the good news is that for us is that we don't have a heavenly father who's holding out on us. We don't have a heavenly father who's a, a father who's not, good, who's not uh, trustworthy on his keeping his promises. We don't have a father who's, who's late, but a father who's always on time. We have a father who is good. That's why we have to learn to delight ourselves in the Lord, not in our experience, not in our, our re re reality, but in who he is. And I love this, Scott alluded to earlier, that narrative in Matthew 13 of a man who, who found a, a treasure hidden in the field. And it says this, in his joy, he sold everything. In his joy. Other translators say in his excitement, in his delight, he sold everything to gain that treasure. And I believe that actually the, the power of understanding delight in this moment 
understanding, delighting ourselves in the Lord, because it's so easy to, we think, I will, I'm, 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 dis, I'm, dis, I'm outside of the, of the delight because I'm suffering with anxiety. I'm outside of the promises of joy because I'm suffering with, with, with stress and, and sickness. And, but actually, the Bible doesn't say, delight yourself in your situation. It says, delight yourself in the Lord. Would you open the door to delighting yourself in the Lord? Secondly, is the word obedience. The man owed Edom, I said, God came to his house, but we also have to realize that God came to his house. That's the emphasis when you put on there, that God came to his house, and that means it demanded a response. And I'll ask you a question. Which comes first, delighting in God or obeying God? Do you obey God because you fear, you're nervous, or, that, or do you obey him because there's a delight in your heart? And I would suggest that as we learn to delight in him, the response is obedience. And let me tell you, God's response, when we open the door to obedience, God's response to our obedience is for him to pour more of his presence, more of his goodness, more of his faithfulness, and delight to become a greater expression of reality in our lives. So then why? We obey more and trust him more. There's a scripture in Philippians 2, verse 12 to 13, one of the most misunderstood scriptures. It says this, Therefore, work out your salvation with fear and trembling, for it is God who works in you both to will and to work for his good pleasure. As you can see, I'm not a natural fan of working out. So I've never liked that, that scripture. Work out. So I'm like, whoa, 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 what are you trying to say here? I'm not putting any hours in the gym here. Please, please, back, back away. But, but let me tell you, actually, I think a lot of us also are not fans of this verse. We're like, we, we don't, I don't want to have to work out stuff. I don't want to have to put any effort into this reality. But I want to tell you, I think that too often we stand on the precipice of what God is wanting to do in and through our lives. And we wonder why we never enter into it fully because we haven't opened the door of obedience We've maybe put a, a toe through the door, maybe put a finger through the door, but God says, will you enter in fully with obedience? Work out. I love that verse. It says, work out. Let me tell you, it doesn't say work for. It says, work out. It doesn't say work out for your salvation. It says, work out your salvation. And the sense is not meaning figure it out. It's saying, actually, work it out. In the sense of, you've been given this gift, unwrap it fully. Open the door fully to what God is wanting to do in your life. Don't just leave it ajar. Open the door fully to what God is wanting to do for you. You see, I love the rest. It says, work out your salvation. Not someone else's, just your salvation. Too many of us have got opinions on what that church is doing, what that person's doing, what that political party is doing. Actually, the Bible doesn't say work out what they, American church, should be doing. It says, work out your salvation. Then it says this, with fear and trembling. And let me tell you, that's a verse that we would love to skip. I'd love to skip fear and trembling, and many people change the word saying fear and trembling actually means reverence or respect, and yes, it does have those connotations, but let me be honest with you, the Hebrew and original Greek language the word has different words for reverence and respect, but the words here for fear and trembling are the words phobos and tremos, and you don't have to be a scholar to know that those mean fear and trembling. And what the Bible is doing in this reality is actually saying that we are supposed to work out our salvation with a sense of deep fear and trembling before God. And, and let, me, let me, before you get thrown off the wagon this moment, what that sort of understanding means is this reality. When I, I growing up in Zimbabwe, we went to Victoria Falls, this incredible one of the seven wonders of the world. And it's, if you've never been there, you'll never be able to understand the raw power of those, those, those waterfalls, those, the, the rapids coming over and over. And you're standing at the bottom in, in a place called Devil's Cauldron where the, the, the spray of it alone is so powerful and disorientating. And you're walking up those, those slippery sli steps and you're getting to the very edge, the precipice. And you're standing there and you just almost, you don't know whether to cry, you don't know whether to laugh because just you cannot hear the person next to you. The roar of that 
waterfall is just so, so powerful, and you're so nervous, and you're gripping the rails because you know the slippery, you could, you've heard stories of people who've gone over the edge, and, and you're wondering, well, surely they should have upgraded the security by now. I mean, goodness, this is terrifying. And you, then you feel so on the edge, and you feel so terrified, and yet there's nowhere else you'd rather be. That's what our encountering God should be like. That's God, and yet there's nowhere else I'd rather be. I think so many of us have got so flippant that God has moved into our homes. God has moved near our lives. God wants in on a marriage. God wants in our relationship. God wants to draw near. And he says, actually, would you open the door to obedience? Work out your salvation with fear and trembling. But let me tell you, I love the second half of that verse as well. It says this, for it is God who works in you, both to will and to work for his good pleasure. I love the reality. Why do we obey? If you go read Philippians 2 for context, up to that point, it says, therefore, work out your salvation, meaning there's stuff that comes before. It's telling us before that, it says, you, we obey. Why? Because Jesus is our example. He obeyed. He was obedient to death unto the cross. He's not asking us something that he has not done. He was obedient. But also asking us to obey, secondly, because it's his expectation. He's our example, but he's also our expectation. Because it says this, Jesus is Lord. He's not just nice suggestion, helpful hints, a little bit, why don't you give this a go, buddy? No, he is Lord. And Jesus as Lord was a very controversial statement in that when it came in that era, because in that era, the great statement of the day was, Caesar is Lord. And the Christians usurped that to say, no, 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 let me tell you, there's one higher than Caesar. Jesus is Lord. So it was a controversial statement. And actually, let me tell you, it should be controversial in our day because it still is. When we say Jesus is Lord, and it may be easy to roll off the tongue, easy to sing, but to live it, to open the door to obedience, is a whole nother level. We have to understand that Jesus is the Lord. This is his example. He obeyed. It's his expectation. Jesus is Lord. He expects us to obey. But the great news for you tonight today is also it's the empowering. It's him who works in us towards obedience. He's not calling us to something that he does not give us power to do. It's almost like, in a sense, if you've got a power tool that's not plugged in, it's that that's working out your salvation with fear and trembling. Power tool, but not plugged in. This thing could do a lot of harm or good. But when you plug it in, if there's power, there's a source that's beyond you. You are making progress, but it's not your ability, it's not your weight, it's the fact you plugged into his power. His empowering. He is, it says there, both to will and to work for his good pleasure, for his good purpose. This is God's desire for you. And if God desires your obedience, he desires your maturity, he is leaning, he has leaned fully into it. He's not holding out saying, will you obey me? Try and get it right. Open the door. Ah! No, no. He says, I want to back you in your obedience. This is what he's gone full in. And I want to tell you this is the reality, that narrative of Matthew 13. In his joy, in his delight, in his excitement... He sold everything. Now that might sound radical. Let me tell you today, that parable is not radical. It's just called biblical Christianity. We often say, whoa, whoa, whoa. You know, I, I love, I love, uh, I'm in on this Jesus thing, but actually, I, I'm, not, I'm not a fanatic. Can I tell you, you cannot be on this Jesus thing unless you are a fanatic. Because let me tell you, our hope is in a man who bled and died on a cross. Our hope is in eternity, that at the moment we die is in his, his blood, you have to be a little bit fanatical. And let me tell you, I, I, I believe I'm calling my own heart to a sell everything type faith. I, I, want, I want to sell everything for the sake of the gospel. Not because it's demanded, but because he's given everything. 
This is the reality for you, and I want to say to you today, will you open the door to radically obeying Jesus? Thirdly is opportunity. I'll speed this up for time's sake. Obed-Edom had everyone else, Abinadab had 20 years to prove this moment, but only one man, Obed-Edom, had the, the, the ark come to his door. And he had every right. He'd heard Uzzah die. He had said, hey, he could have looked to his disqualification, said, I'm from Gath. You know Goliath, that guy you just defeated. That was my second cousin runs removed. Ah, I don't want to touch this guy, David. No, but the opportunity came to his door. And he had the opportunity to say yes to it or he had the opportunity to say no to it. But he opened the door to the opportunity that God was bringing his life. And I want to encourage us in this moment. I want to tell you the adventure of keeping in step with the Holy Spirit. If you are not understanding what it means to walk with the Holy Spirit, you are missing out on what God is doing. I want to tell you today that you are in this city. You are in this church. You are in that family. You are in that job. You are in that home. You are next to that neighbor. You are in that situation, next to that colleague at work. Because it is an open door, not for you to escape from your troubles, but actually for you to enter into them. Too many of us are asking for God for an open door to get out of. God, give me an open door so I can immigrate. And God said, no, I want you to open doors for people to encounter me where you are. I've placed you where you are for a reason. And I love the reality in that narrative of Matthew 30. It says, in his joy, in his expectation, in his delight, he sold everything, radical obedience. And it says this thing, so that he could buy that field so that he could get the fullness of that treasure. An opportunity came for him to buy that field. An opportunity came for him to lean into that moment. And I want to encourage us, are we taking the opportunities or are we allowing our hearts to become hard to the promptings of the Spirit? Would you open the door to what God is saying? Fourthly and finally is the word revelation. You see Obed-Edom, you see the reality. I love about this guy. Three months with the presence of God. David comes, signifying Jesus, takes the presence back to Jerusalem with much fanfare and delight. The next time you see Obed-Edom, who gets this two, three verses in the book of 2 Samuel, the next time you see his name, and one of the only other times you see it in the Bible, is in the book of 2 Chronicles, and, and it says this, that the reality of when the presence of God physically left that, his home to go back to the temple, so did Obed-Edom and his family. Obed-Edom that day, as the presence of God left, said, we've, we've been so ruined, in the best sense of the word, for the, what the presence of God can do in our lives, we're not staying the same. And it says that Obed-Edom moved his whole family to the, pre- the, the temple, and he and his sons became doorkeepers in the house of God. They became doorkeepers. Another word is gatekeepers. Another word is door openers to the presence of God. They'd opened it in a small way, encountered as God came there, said, actually, we're not going to stay the same. Everything has to change. And this is an incredible reality for you and I. I want to encourage us. Would we learn to be people who make decisions based on who God is and who he has called us to serve, not what our circumstances dictate? Maybe I'll speak to one person very quickly. I really believe that people are making decisions in their lives about their futures, relationships, jobs, based on circumstantial pressure or or the the allure of something better more than on the revelation what God has shown them. Because let me tell you, if you move for money, money will then have to sustain you. If you change because of a situational pressure, then that thing has to, you have to manufacture that. But if you stay or if you go based on what God has spoken, then he's the one who sustains Will you move because of the, what God has shown you? And actually, I think it should be as Christians that what, where God has placed us, what God has revealed to us in His presence should be the defining factor. So I say to you today, will you open the door to revelation? Revelation means you open the door to what God has spoken, what God wants to do in your life. Because I think too many of us are just making decisions based on, well, it's an open door. When God says, no, no, I'm not just the God who wants to open the door. I want you to enter into what I'm doing with you. Psalm 84 says this, says, 
I'd rather be a doorkeeper. I'd rather be a gatekeeper in the house of the Lord than dwell in the tents of the wicked. And that's where I love the reality of that story in Matthew 13. In his joy, he sold everything to buy that field, but it starts off by saying he found a treasure that was hidden in the field. And I believe God is saying, actually, will you open the door to find things that are hidden in me? I've got things I want to reveal to you. I want to speak to you. God wants to speak to us. God, does that not blow your mind? That God wants to speak to us. He wants to breathe his, 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 his mysteries into our hearts. But I think too often a lot of us not. That is his desire. He wants to do that. But a lot of us have had the door shut on that reality when God said, no, would you open the door? Just open the door. Open the door and I will, I will move into your heart. I will speak my life. So I say, will you open the door to the priceless treasure of who Jesus is? So these four things. Let's recap. If we go to the next slide, they're important. It says it's, it's desire. We have to understand to open the door to desire. We have to open the door to obedience. We have to open the door to the opportunity. We have to open the door to revelation. And yes, it's a, maybe a little cheesy, but the alliteration of that is D-O-O-R. If we understand this reality and start to, this is the way God works. It's the pattern of his heart that he elicits joy and desires, puts new desires in our hearts that prompts us to step out in obedience, that prompts us to hear the voice of the Spirit, to take the opportunities, and allows us more and more to understand who he is and respond to that. And that should birth more joy and delight in our heart, that moves us to more obedience, that moves us to taking more opportunities, that takes us to more understanding of who God is, that brings more delight, more obedience, more opportunities, more revelation. This is how God works. This is how he works and partners with you and I. His heart is to pour and says, just, would you just open the door? Would you just open the door? And this is the reality that I want to tell you as we stand to our feet, as we land this whole time together. We're going to have communion. Maybe Josh, you could bring the communion stuff here if that's okay. You'll find the communion emblems underneath your seat. I, I just wanted to encourage you as a people, as a family today, of what God wants to do, because this is who Jesus is. Jesus says this about himself. He says, I am the door. Jesus says, he says, I am the gate. Jesus says, I am the way. No one comes to the Father except through me. And I want to tell you the great news of the gospel is that Jesus tells us that he died for the joy, for the delight set before him. It says that he was obedient unto death on a cross. He says in this moment, he said this opportunity, he says, do not let this cup pass before me, but, but Father, your will, not mine, be done. He took the opportunity based on what he saw of God. In Revelation chapter 4, this is what John the Apostle said. He said, I saw an open door in heaven. Let me tell you, it's open gates. The door has been opened wide for you and I. This is not us trying to find a four-step formula to prize the blessings out of God. A four-step formula to try and get the blessings of God, the favor of God, the presence of God. No, He is willing. His door is wide open to you and I. He says, come and eat and drink. Come and feast on me. Come and sell everything. It's worth it. Once you've sold everything, you realize that actually that price was way too small for what God has given you. You can never remain in his debt. You lay everything aside. I'm coming for you, God. You realize that the delight that you traded, that you thought was a small thing, a, delight, a big delight, was insignificant based on what you've seen of him. I want to invite you today. His door has been opened to you. The great news, it says this, that he tore the veil completely, top to bottom, wrenched open so you and I can come in. The Bible says that his body, the final veil, his flesh, was torn asunder so that sons and daughters may come with boldness and confidence to God. Let me tell you, the door has been opened. It's no longer a game if you're trying to get the door. Oh, the right moment, the right prayer, the right response. He says, the door is open. But would you open the door of your heart ongoingly again and again and again in delight, in obedience, responding to opportunities, relying on the revelation of heaven? Because that's what he wants to do with us. Why don't we close our eyes? 
That was an amazing sermon. If you would like to find out what your next step is, why don't you go to our website, lifechanges.org.za or follow us on social media to find out about what is happening in the life of our church. Life Changes Church, we love you. Have an amazing, amazing week.